All right, welcome back to episode four of Functional Observations, a podcast for a dysfunctional time. We are your hosts, Anthony Donald and Donald Anthony. I'm Anthony Donald. And I am Donald Anthony. All right, so uh, before this podcast began yesterday, well, we haven't been recording for two days, but you know, yesterday before the podcast, um, you said, Don said, and I quote, I'm going to uncork it on this one. So what did you mean by that? And how are you going to uncork it precisely on this episode? Uh, not really sure. Not I think really we're sure. a lot of shooting from the hip. <laughs> Troublesome. <laughs> Does that worry you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All, right. Uh, All downhill from here, I suspect. <laughs> uh, ma- management, management, and I took a walk. Okay. Uh, a few days ago. No, I'm not going to talk about the crane. Not yet. What crane? We saw a crane. We think it's a crane. A bird. <laughs> a bird, okay. You saw a bird, all right. Yeah, not not, <laughs> not, not a cat machine crane or no, something like that. No, no, but we'll, we'll get to the bird, so before the bird. So anyhow, um, we took a walk. No, no, let me back up. I took a walk, and uh, upon my return, uh, reported to management that um, uh, part of my walking routine is is around a local high school campus, which is about 80 acres, give or take. And I go there to avoid people. And it works. It at works any nobody's rate, there. Yeah, at any rate, school, quote unquote, is in session, uh, virtual only in our community. And uh, therefore, the teachers are reporting and instructing remotely from their classrooms. What I noticed um, in walking through the parking lot is an unusually high number of vanity plates on teachers and faculty's vehicles. Mm-hmm. What's that about? I don't mean, well, I think we should start with our joint opinion on vanity plates, which is they're bad and they shouldn't exist. They, they, they should be banned. It's, they yeah, exist. no, it's, yeah. it's creativity without any of the vulnerability. Um, it's uh, a safe haven for a, an uninteresting person. It is. Some, they vary from uh, cute and saccharine to completely incomprehensible. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure it's served by either end of the spectrum, anything. Nothing. It's, it's, it's very strange, because it is a government document, and people, like, you don't have a vanity social security number, a vanity passport number, or you need a vanity license plate. It's there so the Department of Motor Vehicles can keep track of what you're getting up to. <sighs> the vanity plate is, or just the, the license the, the plate? plate. Yeah. license plate. So what is it? An expression. Maybe vanity says it all. Mm-hmm. It's an expression of vanity. Mm-hmm. Vanity, thy name is a small slice of steel with a Don't Tread on Me logo on it. Who said that? I just made that up on the spot. Quite good. Uh, I'm a, uh, I enjoy witticism. Right. Speaking of witticisms, in front of you, you, will, you have two Mark Twain books. I, well, yeah, I have one book by Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn, mm-hmm. and then um, a coffee table um, biography called Mark Twain and His World by Justin Kaplan. And I'm about halfway through. It's it's fun, it's informative, but it is workmanlike. Mm-hmm. It is the the writing is the opposite of a vanity plate. It is the opposite of a vanity plate. Yep, that's well put. Um, but but uh, I'm enjoying it um, nonetheless. And so I think as as part of my pre-retirement plan, mm-hmm. the the retirement plan included 
-hmm. reading all of Mark Twain, I think I'm going to accelerate that plan. Why wait for retirement? Mm -hmm. I'm going to just yeah. throw myself into it. And um, when I finish the uh, the cable the, the tabletop bio, um, I'll start reading the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. So that's that's what I've got on the table. Um, I don't know that we need to say much more about that. What are you reading these days? I'm still reading Anna Karenina. Good. Yeah. Any updates? It's you know it's the same. There hasn't been any new chapters released or anything. Um, yeah, it's still. Very, I mean, I'm not breaking any ground by saying it's very good. Mm -hmm. Continues to be very good. Mm -hmm. Keep on reading that. After that, I don't know. Either well, might either read the White Album by Joan Didion, right, or something else. Right. The field, if you will. Okay. I called up uh, the essay on self-respect by Didion. Mm. And I think that reminds me. it was reprinted mm -hmm. in Vogue of 2014. I've got, uh, or maybe that was, well, it's original. It, when did it, it, it originally, originally was printed in Vogue, I believe, in 1961. Ah. And I imagine it could have been reprinted. Yes. Yeah. At a later date. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you want to say about dating or on self-respect? Yes, well, that gets us, I think, to a conversation we were trying to remember earlier about self-help books. And oh, our, thank you. Yes, we got it. such a crisp, alert mind. And we're back. All right, so. <laughs> now we're going to uncork it. Now we're going to uncork it. Uh, mm. Self-help books. The cork's going to start flying. Self-help books don't care for them in any way. No. And, and someone made um, the profound statement that self-help is a waste of time. I did. I said right. that. Right. I think you did. I did. And, and I said I think, it and I meant it. I know you did. And uh, Management and I challenged it, uh -huh. I thought, in, in a respectful, thoughtful way. Uh, at all persuasive, as you can call it, or not? No. Here's... No. No. Okay. <laughs> Just a lot of hot air from the old man, huh? I mean, those are your words. Right. My, the central issue, uh, my, my fundamental issue with self-help books is that they treat complex issues simply. It's like mm -hmm. uh, you have emotional distress from your childhood and that uh, makes it difficult for you to interact with people naturally. Well, that's a very complex issue that takes time to solve. But if you're, And the conceit of self-help book is like, no, we'll figure that out in 200 pages. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, you know, mental health care in America is a disaster and it's very difficult for people to get the care that they need. But at the same time, trying to fix it with this solution is not going to work. Mm -hmm. And then also, and this conversely, I find that most people write self-help books are there just to make money. Like Steve Harvey is not interested in helping people. He's there because he got a good book deal from, you know, Simon & Schuster's. It's a big fat payday. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. people love reading them. Uh, as a management a librarian, as she can tell us, self-help books are very popular at the library. Mm -hmm. uh, and so people like reading them, so they sell. So you're completely down on self-help. Where where does uh, where do books um, on Zen written by Zen superstars um, come into play? Is that rubbish also for the most part? Well, I've never read them. So. All right, so maybe it's a different category. Different category. I don't I mean it's not like you know who's a Zen master? Get oh well, today. Man had a stroke several years ago, so mm. he's not, you know, operating fully. But uh, <laughs> um, a uh, Vietnamese uh, Zen uh, superstar, yeah. uh, Tick Not Han, mm -hmm. um, and is, you know, there's the Dalai Lama, yeah, and just, I mean, just a very, very slim, tiny rung below is Thich the Nhat Dalai Han? Lama is Tick Not Han. Here's the thing: I don't think Tick Not Han in his, you know in his writings and his teaching is trying to say like, 
five easy steps for charisma and command. Yeah, it comes close. <laughs> Not about charisma. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but mm -hmm. I've got a bookshelf. Um, there's two levels, and it probably stands about, um, I don't know, maybe three feet off the ground, and it's probably by six feet. It is jam-packed with Zen mm -hmm. Buddhism. I've seen it. For the listeners at home, I've seen it. And yes. <laughs> now, um, I've barely touched them. Uh, I see. I was on this sort of Zen kick. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole Eastern thing. Yeah, the whole, whole Eastern thing. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping um, that there's value um, in those books. If not, I've grown a big chunk of change. But I, I'd like to think there's a difference between self-help and these Zen guys. Could be wrong. Mm. Could well, be wrong. You, you, why don't you explore that? I will. Get back to us. Yeah, future episode. Oh. So no. self-help is a waste of time. Waste of time. Very silly. Very silly. And, you know, this is not to say that reading something can't improve your life. And that's how we get to the, the Joan Dean essay. But I feel like it's like reading like you know, a book or an article can help you in a dimension of your life, but it can't fix all of your problems. Or like, this is the key to happiness. Like, so if you're a screwed up person, reading a book is not going to yeah, do much you have good. Like, if, you get, you know, if you have unresolved childhood trauma, if you find mm -hmm. difficult to interact with people, if you, um, if you feel like you can't be emotionally open with others, those, again, are complex problems that you're not going to fix in a book. Like you Probably you right. have to, There's trauma you have to uncover and you know come to grips with. There are relationships you have to mend to heal. I mean, that's time and effort. Right. Psychotherapy, yeah. professional help. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, reading a book isn't going to cut it. No. And so if you're going into feeling like, I'm going to solve all my problems with this book, then you're going to be disappointed. Or you're going to make it somehow, it can make it even worse where you're living by these like you know simple kind of trite platitudes that really aren't getting to the issue. Yeah, but, but, but maybe we're talking about profoundly disturbed people. I, you know, I think most people, I mean, this may be another same thing, I think a lot of people are disturbed and they don't, Probably most don't, of, don't acknowledge yeah. it. Yeah, most people are disturbed. But I, I'd, ha I'd like to think there's some value um, um, in reading that can somehow... Uh, help people get through difficult times in their lives. Oh, of I mean, yeah, I don't, sure. I mean, there is, you know, it could, could be like a memoir about, you know, a similar life experience, mm -hmm. um, I would imagine. Um, mm -hmm. It could be. But it's not, in your view, um, a sort of a, a paint by the numbers mm -hmm. thing that if, if you, as you said, you follow these five steps and presto. Yeah, they go, you're fixed. Like, no. Right, right. Okay. That's silly. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else did we talk about this past week? That was oh, well, we watched part of Uncut Gems, the we Am did. Sindler film. What did you think? Um, hmm. I'll give it a I'll give it another try. One because of the folks involved, and two because of, at least in one instance, a glowing five star review. Mm -hmm. I thought that uh, the pace, the rhythm, um, was a little jarring and uh, difficult to follow. But I, I will say, my initial reaction to The Big Lebowski was not dissimilar. Um, and I think I had to watch or try to watch The Big Lebowski two or three times before I figured out this is brilliant, funny mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll give Uncut Gems another try. You 
you uh, you think highly of uncut gems. I do. Say why. Tell us why. Why I think um, it's a. <clears throat> I think first of all, it's a really it's a incredibly well made film mm -hmm. that gets at um, just uh, I'll <clears throat> oh, sorry, it's very well made. I think the. The, the combination of the camera work, the editing, the music, it creates this claustrophobic, high-pressure environment for the viewer where like you you don't feel as if like you're looking in on these scenes that are happening. You feel like you're caught up in these scenes yourself. So when you know, Adam Sandler's character, Howard, is getting you know, pressed by some money collectors for a loan shark, he owns money to like you feel like you're in the scene. You feel like the, the tension of uh, the scene itself, which I like. But then also... So just the execution of it is very well done. Also, I think that the ideas that the film explores are quite interesting, where it's about Judy, uh, the perception of Judaism in America, the, um, how Jews are perceived and how they're forced to make their money, um, the idea of colonization, of um, people like you, of people dissimilar to you, so the complexities of the global economy. And then also uh, a study of this man, Howard, uh, Adam Sandler character, and how he is dominated, consumed, in this cannot escape his vices and his desires. Mm -hmm. It's a man who doesn't, it, it, I don't know if he wants to get better, uh, but he has very little attempt to. He, he almost seems to enjoy it, even as you know he's getting thrown out of cars, having his hands broken, stuff like that. I, I thought there was a, a seediness, mm -hmm. um, an unsavoriness to it that um, for me, uh, was a distraction, but maybe the unsavoriness, the seediness of the movie is central yeah. to understanding the culture, mm -hmm. if you will, of, is this guy kind of a, um, a low-level uh, crook, con artist, or, or no. at what level does he operate? He's, I think he's, I mean, he runs a diamond shop in the Diamond District of New York. Right. Not, you know, high level. Right. Uh, but he, he's a hustler, you know, he's... He, he's maneuvering a lot. He's putting himself into difficult situations. You know, he's certainly not a hot. He's you know, it's a it's a lowbrow guy to yeah. a certain extent. Is it, but but uh, illegal? Is he is no. he outside of the law? No, it's all legitimate. The it's way a, it's the, a rough business. It's a rough business, yeah. But what he? I mean, well, I mean, he's making illegal bets. But other than that, yes. right. And I think the the and he seems to be smuggling diamonds into the country right. or opals into the country. Yeah. Say. And dead fish, mm -hmm. um, but I think that the, the the idea of Adam Sandler in that role, uh, for me, um, was completely uh, against um, my notion of of Adam Sandler, the comedian, mm -hmm. the the guy who does the the usually popular, I guess, but mm -hmm. nonetheless juvenile sort of adolescent yeah. comedies, mm -hmm. um, and so for him to be uh, uh, acting um, a straight role was um, a little unbelievable mm -hmm. to me. But he does a good job, you he think? He does a very good job. Do I believe think, he, he he's a good actor? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a, he was in Punch Drunk Love, which is a Wes, no, Wes Anderson, a um, Paul Thomas Anderson film. Oh, that was very uh, well regarded. Yeah. So he's done serious stuff before. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, less broad stuff before. Right, right. Okay. Did he get a nomination? I think he won the Interparent... Spirit Film Award for Best Actor. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is that good? 
Does that mean it's, a good, it's not bad. Yeah, it sounds like something I'd be involved in. <laughs> okay. I, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a story in today's New York Times, and um, the teaser says, kicking off with Goodfellas, the gangster class of 1990 changed Hollywood. And it talks about how Goodfellas revolutionized not just mob movies, mm -hmm. but um, uh, a certain kind of movie in general. And it spoke to the kind of uh, a frenzied um, atmosphere uh, that uh, Uncut Gems uh, creates. And uh, uh, I remember Goodfellas very well. Um, I'm not so sure I could watch it again. Mm -hmm. uh, have you seen Goodfellas? I have. What'd you think? I really enjoyed it. I think, I think it's um, really necessary to understand Goodfellas within the context of the go the Godfather films. You're absolutely right. Yeah, or at least mm -hmm. you, you you agree with uh, the Times critic. Yeah, I think it's. Well, I mean, it's. They're I think they're incredibly similar. They are mom movies made by Italian men about Italians mm -hmm. uh, that span decades of organized crime. Mm -hmm. They're very similar films in that regard, and they yeah. follow our central character right. in his rise and fall. Uh, yeah. throughout the ranks and so kind of Scorsese evolves the form a little bit and changes the, the motivation of the central character where he takes it uh, yeah. well beyond the Godfather mm -hmm. in a certain way according yeah. to this critic um, and uh, I don't want to read from a newspaper story because that'll put everybody to sleep including me mm -hmm. but this critic does speak to uh, the use of the camera and and the editing uh, in Goodfellas as something akin to um, movie making that uh, had never been seen or done um, and uh, influenced uh, many, many mob mm -hmm. movies uh, to come and many uh, directors, um, in fact, were, were influenced um, by that movie. So mm -hmm. anyway, so what else is going on this week? Uh, basketball, Celtics. Mm-hmm. On the comeback, do you think? Hopefully. Um, they got... So, the, well, the Celtics play... We're recording this on the Sunday. They played Saturday night, and they beat the Miami Heat. Um, right. So this is the first game back for Gordon Hayward to injured his ankle playing the Philadelphia 76ers in the first game of the first round. So he hasn't played in about four and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. First game back made a huge impact on the game, mm -hmm. uh, both offensively and defensively. Great to have him back. Really changes the dynamic of the series. Mm-hmm. And then also, what, it, what was plaguing the Celtics for the first couple of games of the series was that they just kind of stopped playing, you know, in the second half. Why? I don't know. Didn't lose steam, right? Yeah, they just, just kind of lost steam, like slowed the offense down, not great defensive effort. I mean, they had double-digit leads in the first and second game, blew them both in the second half, and ended up losing. And so in this third game, had great energy through most of the game, tailed off at the end again, but... Got the win by about eight points. I want to ask you about tailing off at the end because I didn't watch the game live as you did. Mm -hmm. I watched the nearly 10-minute summary this morning, Sunday. And at one point, as you know, the Celtics were up by 20. Mm -hmm. And uh, before long, it seemed, and again, the summary is compressed, they were up by six. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking, wait a second. I've seen this before, yeah. games one and two. Yeah. So they were up by 20, correct? They were up by 20. They were up, I think, by maybe, I know it was double digit with five minutes to play. Mm -hmm. And then it came down to something like the last minute or so, maybe yeah. two minutes. 
it's just this thing where they do is they play like this slow down prevention offense, mm -hmm. which doesn't it doesn't work for them. Like it's the strangest thing where they spent this whole game playing up tempo, very up tempo, lots of movement in the half court. Right. And it, obviously it's working for them. They're up by twenty, and then they decide to stop doing that. Like they slow the ball down, lots of long isolations late in the shot clock, and it's like that's not going to work against Miami. Yeah. Like you're not the team that's going to slow this game down. And you know, really grind clock out. You need to push the tempo the whole game to maintain these leads to be put teams away. So, so what happens though? I'm I'm not a student of basketball. Mm -hmm. why, why change or slow the pace if you're up by 20? Why not just continue to to play that style of ball, preserve if not even enlarge the lead? I think the idea is to preserve the lead. So if at that point it's more about eating clock. So. Maximize possessions, running the clock down that is about scoring, but that's, you know, kind of counterintuitive where if you, you don't score, Miami's not going to change how they're playing. They're down, so they're going to reel this back in. Like, you need, you know, Boston, they need to keep the pressure up throughout the game. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they've demonstrated that they can take Miami apart if they want to. But Miami won't give up. Won't give up. So what's uh, what's the prediction, if any, for game four on Wednesday? We'll see. I think Jimmy Butler... Um, of the Heat's really going to try to come out because he's kind of been a non-factor so far. He's kind of sat in the background for most of the series, so I feel like he's really trying to come and leave an impression on game four. But um, Hayward's going to have a game under his belt, so he's going to be back stronger. Celtics really have demonstrated how well they can play. Um, they had a bit of a come-to-Jesus after the end of game two, so I think they're back on page, back on pace. They found some things in terms of lineups and schemes that really give Miami trouble, so I think it's going to be good. I think you know. I think the Celtics can still win this series. Uh, down uh, two, two game, one. two to one. Uh, are there Celtic players who need to bring their A game and have not done so in this series? We were. I mean, there was concern about Kemba Walker, so he was signed from Char the Charlotte Hornets um, this year. Uh, he was just having a very poor run of games from. Um, so they played the Toronto Raptors in the previous series to about the second first game of. Uh, second game of the Miami series where he was just not hitting threes. He, there was a five or six game stretch where he only hit one three a game. And and threes are his forte? Yeah, he's very good. I mean, it's a really integral part of his game. So I was going through a little bit deeper of a breakdown of his stats. Nothing had really changed for him statistically. He was still shooting twos at a very at the rate at the regular season rate. He was still getting to the free throw line and making that at his regular season rate. Only his three pointing shooting had declined. And then also, he was uh, producing more assists and potential assists. And it, I think it was a shift in how he was being played. Um, Toronto especially was selling out to guard him um, on the defensive end, whether with like, like a box and one, so somebody always stays on camera the whole time, or some sort of trapping defense. The idea was to force the ball in hands at all costs. So his production was down, but he wasn't less efficient. The only, thing, the only thing that was less efficient was his threes. And then Miami was doing something similar in games one and two where they were having this very high blitz on the pick and roll. So if Kem was doing a, an action, say, near mid-court in between the three-point line, two Miami players were coming out to challenge him to force the ball out of his hands to another player. Um, so I, that was kind of taking him out of his rhythm, I think um, mm. limiting the amount of shot attempts he was getting up and really took him out of his rhythm from three because one of his best shots is coming off of this high pick and roll action and hitting threes at the top of the key. And so he wasn't getting to his rhythm, wasn't getting to the spots that he liked to. Then in game three, changed the action up in some way. Um, got him easier looks, hitting threes again. So I think the last 
two games he's had over three, three or four made threes in both of these games. So Kemba's back. Doesn't seem like an issue anymore. So the Celtics win uh, Wednesday, and it's a whole brand new series, whole brand new, even up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Um, Rondo, did he play much last night? Well, so Rajon Rondo, he plays for the Lakers. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. But he did yeah. play for the Celtics. Yeah. Right. Did, did he start his career with the? Uh, yeah, in 2008. Okay. Speaking of the Lakers, mm-hmm. doing pretty well. Right? Doing very well. Really, really took apart um, the. Denver Nuggets on mm. Friday night. It was 20 point yeah, something, something like that. It was a massacre, it yeah, seemed like. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk footwear. You picked up a pair of running shoes. I did. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, they're Nike Air Pegasus. I think they're the 37 model. Mm-hmm. I've been, so I've been using um, these type of New Balance. They're called Fresh Foam Zanti Z3s. Mm-hmm. So I've been wearing those since about 2016, so like the past four years. Um, but I think they discontinued them at some point, so I had to look for another really? shoe. Yeah. And, th- and there's no equivalent? I don't think so. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So you were looking for um, a replacement shoe, mm-hmm. and so. you decided on the Pegasus. Yeah. Why? I think, I mean, I've only heard good things about them. So you read reviews. Yeah, very classical running shoe. And and uh, you debuted them today. Yes. How'd it go? Good. I mean, you know, with any you know with any shoes, particularly running shoes, you need to break them in. So yeah. I had some foot pain today. Just because, you know, they're still a little bit stiff, but mm-hmm. no knee pain, no lower back pain, which is the, the longer-term concern. So is tomorrow running day or not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you just jump right back in and mm-hmm. run again. And yeah. your schedule is what, four days on? and or? Three days on, one day off. Okay, yeah. good. And your distance? About three and a half to four miles. Many hills? A few hills. Yeah, okay. I mean, we, you know, where we live is quite hilly. Speaking of footwear, I dusted off uh, uh, my Jack uh, Purcells. A bit of an odyssey behind these shoes. A little bit of an odyssey that I guess I inflicted upon management. <laughs> but uh, I like them. Yeah, they, they, they become you. You have a, a marvelous sort of iconic um, poster of James Dean. Yeah, currently laying on the floor. Yeah, gonna you're going to do something with foam board. Yeah, in, we have right? to re- I have to replace the backing of it. Yeah, just, just like some cut some board. stuff up. Yeah. But he's wearing Jack Purcells. Yes. And in fact, he uh, he has his leg uh, or his legs crossed rather casually mm-hmm. on um, an ottoman. I've done you likewise do. on our kitchen table. What do you yeah. think? D- James Deanish? Yeah, you look very cool. Yeah, when when you see those feet, do you immediately think of James Dean? I do. I d- <laughs> and then when you look at me, what do you think of? I immediately think James Dean. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Um, I I think it's uh, it's retro hipster. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be caught dead wearing a sneaker like this? I would. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, yeah. I think I think like a low slung white sneaker is kind of classic. Yeah. I've noticed go in wrong. in going online and looking at um, um, clothing catalogs, um, chief among them probably Gap. It seems to me that white sneakers are pretty darn popular, mm-hmm. at least in the catalogs. Yeah. What's your experience in, in sort of your peer group, uh, folks that you know pay attention to fashion? Do they wear white sneakers? Yeah, I think a like I said, a low slung white sneaker is a bit of a staple because you could you could dress it up, you could dress it down. Mm-hmm. Works with a lot of outfits. Do you have a pair of? Uh, I do not. Well, I tried to buy a pair of uh, white Pumas this past January. Didn't work out. Did not work out. Bit right. of a disaster. Yeah, they were a little bit too small. So you bought them because they were cut right, right? The yeah. price was yeah. reduced. Yeah, yeah. So a bit too small, and so they took it a pretty good sized chunk out of my heel. Yeah. And so I couldn't wear shoes with a back on them for about a month in yeah. January, no less. 
So were you wearing Burks and socks? I was wearing socks and Birkenstocks for most of January. <laughs> nippy? A little nippy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. All right, what what else is on the agenda this oh, afternoon? How much is going on here? Yeah, kind of slow. Um, we're going to skip dinner tonight. <clears throat> yeah, well, why don't we talk about the paella? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about paella. I want to know uh, why is everybody down on paella? It's well, like, well, okay, like being well, you, down on moonstones. You, you woke know? up one day and you got this into your head that it's paella time, let's go. Yeah, let's do it. And then, so. Uh, well, you want to back up and say we last week you made a spectacular jambalaya. Mm -hmm, yeah. And I thought, well, why not paella? Yeah, why not hit the gas on this one? <laughs> why don't right. I cork it? And then someone to my left said, uh, it's very similar to jambalaya. Uh -huh. But you would not be deterred. I would not be deterred. Misinformed, yes, but not deterred. Mm. So anyway, paella. Paella. You're, you're skilled at jambalaya. You've never paelled. No, I've never paelled. I mean, I've had it before. I was in right. Barcelona in 2012, had a lovely paella. Didn't know it. Yeah. I knew you were in Barcelona. Didn't know about the, mm -hmm. uh, the paella. But uh, so tell us a little bit about the Barcelona paella. It was very good. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember a lot of details. And you ate it. I ate it, yeah. It was quite nice. Mm -hmm. And what was in it, basically? Some rice, some fish, some chicken. Okay. Big pan. Spicy, right? Spicy, yeah. I like the big pan effect. <laughs> you like a big pan? I like a big pan. We, uh, we management and I went to a dinner party several Christmas seasons ago, and paella, no, no, jambalaya. Yeah, I'm really messing this up. It was jambalaya, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was, it was paella. paella. And Anthony, mm -hmm. Donald, mm -hmm. um, it, it was in a pan, and the pan must have been 18 inches. Mm -hmm. In diameter. Yeah. And it looked like it was some kind of... You got to uh, put the mic close to your face. It looked like it was... <laughs> thanks. But do you think the listening audience caught that bit of direction? You got to put it closer to your face? Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter. Just doesn't it matter. Just doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. <laughs> At any rate, uh, we had a magnificent paella, and it was in this pan. Uh -huh. It looked like it was hammered, you know, hammered yeah. steel. Mm -hmm. um, and you walked into the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And you just shoveled this stuff into your plate, and you could just pick and choose, and it just—it's glorious. And so you—you you wanted us to re make it clear you don't do any cooking at the home. I do no cooking. No. I eat and I clean. And then you make it—you make a lot of suggestions too. I do. I create work for other people, here and at the office, for that matter. But uh, so it's going to be a little while, I think, before paella shows up on the table. Mm -hmm. But you, you're up to your your game to do sure. a paella. It doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter. Okay. Doesn't matter. You just want to get the get in the kitchen, roll up the sleeves, and get get the elbows going and start yeah. chopping, chopping, chopping. Yeah, it's that that is what cooking is. <laughs> chopping, chopping, chopping. Good, good. Well, this has been a grand afternoon. Um, yeah, it hasn't adjusted. Has, has have, have we uh, pretty much exhausted? Uh, I don't think so. Um, no. What what what's on your mind these days? Not much. Mm -hmm. Nothing going on. Yeah. So do we call it a wrap until next week? I guess or we could. Do we just gas bag it some more? I mean, what else are we going to talk about? Oh. I don't know. Uh, didn't have to mow the lawn today. That's right. Or this week, which yeah. is a good thing. It's good. It's a sign of the times. Sign of the times that it is fall. Yeah. Yeah. We. Uh, this marks week two of the installation of various expensive additions to our bird feeding 
operation. Oh, yeah. What have you added so far? Zilch. Almost nothing. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen a couple of uh, Carolina chickadees. We have seen a couple of squirrels in heat. Uh, maybe a cardinal or two, but otherwise it's mm -hmm. been one big bust. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, we'll put a bird bath in there, and that seems to have done nothing for us. Yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing. at all. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, yeah. So we really can't give any bird updates. No bird updates. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about the beautiful. We think uh, egret, although I wouldn't know an egret. Um, was this the bird you saw on the walk? Uh, yeah, we saw a bird on a walk. Very long beak, very long neck. Uh, uh, sort of a turkey-shaped tor torso. Um, and very long, you know, bird-like legs. And it was walking along a creek. Could yeah. have been a drainage ditch. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And we think it was looking for fish to eat. Mm -hmm. Um that's I mean, about well, as, that's about as exciting people, as that story gets. <laughs> if people can identify the bird from that description, um, right? It's a heron. Heron. Okay. A heron, not a, what did I call it? An egret? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, what's the difference between an egret and a heron? And why would we know? Yeah. It's the difference between paella and jambalaya, maybe. <laughs> All right, well, on that note. Um, yeah, we should probably stop for, stop me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, all right. So, God, there's... I think, obviously, there's coronavirus about out and about. You know, so if you're there, stay safe, wear a mask, mm -hmm. be at home. Right. Other people have decided that they want to go to restaurants like they've never been before. I mean, we've... I think we've remarked multiple times that this is the busiest we've ever seen the restaurants on Main Street. Yes, in Bergville. In Bergville, yeah. As we call it. Yeah. And, you know, there's... Dozens of them yeah. out there having brunch. Yeah, and lunch. And, and dinner. Yeah, yeah. And as the weather gets cooler, there was some talk about what happens to the model when it's mm -hmm. so cold you have to go indoors or stay home. And management suggested that or had heard that um, space heaters uh, yeah. might be an option, have been mentioned. I wonder if there's a, a, a health hazard involved. I wonder what... Well, I mean, the, the bigger health hazard seems to be ignored, so I don't think, <laughs> I can, <laughs> right. I don't think the space users are going to stop that, them. That's an excellent point, yeah. Yeah, if, if, yeah, if the, the virus ain't going to stop them, the idea of being immolated <laughs> is, is a minor concern, I suppose. <laughs> hmm. yeah. yeah, so I mean, I expect they'll be out there until the end of time. Could be. So, space heaters. They use them on the sidelines, right? NFL games, college. Yeah, and do high school teams have space heaters? I guess if they have enough money, they use them in Charlottesville at bars. Do they? Yeah. Huh. So there's this thing called Biltmore, which is a bar. Right. We have a promotion called Survivor Hour, which on right. Thursday, Thursday nights from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Uh -huh. You can get all mixed drinks for a dollar, and you can buy four at once. It's is there any limit on, on? I mean, you can buy four at once ten times if you yeah. want. Yeah, I mean, but you know. Uh, logistically speaking, there's so many people there yeah. that you're not going to get back to the bar a second time. Did I hear hour. you once say maybe hundreds or a thousand people show up for this? Hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. So you can get four at a time, but yeah. you only have two hands. What is that? I guess you could have yeah, two drinks put, each your, put your little thingies in there. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you can get four doubles and have an evening. In, anyway. my, in my day, the Biltmore would be described as a gin mill, meaning you just go there to get 
you know, hammered. Yeah, that is kind of the modus operandi. Yeah. Anyway, so during during the summer, it's all because they have a big porch thing, uh-huh. and they got they have an interior place as well. Most people hang out on the porch. During the winter, they take part of that porch and they put a big tent up. They call it the Thunderdome, uh, from Mad Max. Sure. And they put space heaters inside of it uh, too. And it's perfectly fine. And the space heaters work. Yeah, it gets disgustingly humid in there. No kidding. Yeah, well, it's, you know, 78, 70 to 100 people. Right, just in the, sweating. Like, 200 square feet with space heaters. Breathing in the, and sweating. In essentially the greenhouse. Sweating and breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So do you go so there it's, for... It's not, it's you so don't spend the night there, though, no, do you? No, you sp- you sp- you're there for a very strict hour. Right. And then immediately leave. Right, and do other things. Do other things, yeah. Mm. You start You start it. I mean, obviously, you can't do this now. Well, right. they probably still are, you know. Yeah, right. It's college. Anyway, uh, yeah, you start there, and then, you know. Mm-hmm. The Biltmore. You take off, yeah. Sounds very classy, the word Biltmore. It does. Well, actually, uh, Biltmore. So one of the Vanderbilts, um, one of the Cornelius, he built a home in North Carolina, like the largest private home in the United States, called it, and then called it Biltmore. Right, mm-hmm. right. So what's the connection between Biltmore and... In, in the hook versus Biltmore in North Carolina. I, I doubt there's any. Okay. Yeah. There's a porch. But Biltmore suggests elegance. It does, and it, it lacks it. And, and yeah, n- nothing says elegance like four tequila sunrises at once. <laughs> in plastic cups. <laughs> and space heaters. Plastic cups and space heaters. Right. And and just the humidity, the just like dripping from the tent. The, there's, a, there's a fog that gathers. <laughs> Well, it kind of reminds me of uh, the uh, swim venue. Uh, yeah, it is. That it used yeah. as a youth. Yeah. yeah. Remember the chlorine was eye burning. <laughs> eye burning. Eye burning chlorine in the air. Yeah. Disgusting. Just heavy with chlorine. Yeah. Okay. Well, my head is starting to hurt mm-hmm. uh, just a little well, bit. Well, you've done some damage today. <laughs> I have. <laughs> to, to myself and, and the vast listening audience. <laughs> Dozens of them. Anyway. <laughs> That's right. Uncorking it. Yeah, the corks were flying today. Right? Uh, so if you'd like to contact us... Um, Don't. <laughs> you're you're we, on your own. We would advise against it, but if you'd like to... Um, we see you at the Billmore. Yeah. Um, you could email us at functionalobservationspodcast at gmail.com. Right. Any that, questions? that can't be traced to us, though, right? What do you mean? No. No. Okay, good. You know, security issue. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> okay, okay, good, good. All right, yeah, great. so just keep it coming, right? We enjoy the coming. feedback. And enjoy uh, feedback, enjoy questions. Right. Love yeah. answering questions. Be taking... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want. Go yeah. crazy. Yeah, start shooting from the hip. Start shooting from the hip. Yeah, shoot from the hip, baby. All, All right. right, you want to sign us off? All right, yes, great episode. Uh, talk to you guys uh, soon.